You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer powered, listener supported. Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. From the studios of Community Radio 91.3 FM, reporting live for WFHB, this is Don Guerra. And I'm Charlotte Wagermiller. This is the WFHB Local News for Friday, February 7th, 2020. Coming up in the next half hour, Katrine Bruner talked to IU spokesperson Chuck Carney about a proposed SPEA bill. Also coming up, Cade Young interviews Mike McAfee about the upcoming Bloomington Music Expo. But first, your local headlines. Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton introduced the 2019 Public Safety Annual Report during a public meeting on February 4th. Police Chief Michael Dekoff said crime rates are up. Right now, for comparing 2018 and 2019, you will see some significant increases in 2019 in violent crime. Um, rapes had a significant jump. Um, in 2018, they dropped, but in 2017, which I'll get to the 10-year comparison in just a minute, 2017 saw similar numbers as 2019. Um, a lot of those sexual assaults that we investigate um, involve people who know each other. And so since this continues to be a trend with violent crime, one of the things that we are going to do is um, try to work and partner with, with Middleway and work on education efforts. Dekoff said a possibility of higher rates is due to better reporting. He said crimes committed with firearms saw about a 40% increase. He spoke of transitioning to the National Incident-Based Report System, or N-I-B-E-R-S. NIBERS reports everything. So the best way to kind of explain this is if you, I'm gonna just gonna take a hypothetical case and tell you the differences in that. So let's say that we are we get called to a, uh, uh, a domestic, and we respond. So in that domestic, um, there's a battery that's committed, but then there's also the forcible taking of property, which would be a robbery. So under the Uniform Crime Report reporting information, you report the most serious crime, which would be the robbery. Under NIBRS, you report everything. So what that's going to do is it's going to take what information that is, is uh, published by the federal government in the Uniform Crime Report, and it's going to expand the reporting criteria and the numbers. Dekoff said higher crime rates could result from NIBRS reporting. He reported officers received updated body and car cameras. Director of Community and Family Resources Department Beverly Callender Anderson said mental health training was provided to approximately 200 community members. She spoke of Shalom Center programming. Uh, we created a public-private partnership that helped to expand programming um, and weekend services to at Shalom Center. So prior to this, Shalom was only open five days a week. Now they're open seven days a week. Um, the first commitment was for 12 months between, it was the city and several other groups and the city um, up there, their commitment for the next 12 months after the first commit was, was concluded. So we did that recently. Calendar Anderson reported Centerstone clients gaining job skills and earning income through the Parks and Recreation Jobs Program. She said new public restrooms will be included in two new downtown parking garages. She said 
Hannah Whitaker was hired as an after affairs ambassador. Fire Chief Jason Moore talked about 2019 fire reports. Uh, fires are down, uh, but we have been investing heavily in getting to the cause of all these fires, training our investigators. Um, I would say that I am very pleased with our uh, collaboration with BPD. Um, from what we can tell, every fire that has been a uh, potential arson that was identified as a legitimate arson, we have actually caught that person, uh, which does drive down overall fire numbers when you don't have someone that's getting away with a fire that starts multiple. The fire department reported zero fire fatalities for the third year in a row. Moore spoke about education programs. He said best results for education retention were at ages after second grade. Moore spoke of business fire pre-plans. But with the pre-plans, we're sending the operational crews out to learn the buildings, to learn about our citizens. Um, you know, it's a big difference when you go in blind to a building and then when you go blind and all you know is what you can see this far in front of you. So getting a layout, learning what's important, uh, especially with business owners, not only are we looking at the business itself, but we, we ask them, uh, questions like, if all the people were out, obviously, what's the next thing you would want us to save? Moore saw an, quote, unprecedented, end quote, rise in total call volume. Rescue calls had the highest increase of all call categories. Moore said the department looks to update city fire ordinances. Development Services Manager Jackie Scanlon presented the Curry Urban Properties approximately three-acre preliminary plan and district ordinance to the Bloomington City Council. She addressed building workforce housing plans during the February 5th meeting. Um, the petitioner is proposing on-site workforce housing units with 10% of the beds um, being available for a maximum uh, to a maximum of 100% of area median income and 5% of the beds at a maximum of 120%. So that is a 99-year agreement for on-site uh, units. Um, so that uh, that's great. That's what uh, we have been working toward with other locations. Um, so they have agreed to do that. Land Use Committee recommended approval of the ordinance with reasonable conditions. Council Member Ron Smith asked Scanlon about light pro pollution protocol. So we have lighting standards that don't allow for certain amounts of light to cross over a property line. Um, and we would, if a neighbor said, hey, they're, they're you know, having a program out there and it's shining into my lights, we would go and measure and see if it meets the requirements. So the individuals in Cape... In Cam at Cambridge Square, if they said, oh, it's, it's really light. You, they could you, call us and we would check and make okay. sure it met code, okay. yes. City Council created a reasonable condition to cover parking garage entrances with green screens or artwork. Council member Matt Flaherty presented a condition requiring the building to meet cool or vegetated roof standards. Council member Kate Rosenbarger said the building aims to support walkability. This condition is asking to record in writing that on-site parking only be offered a la carte so that it is not included in rent. The purpose of this is that people will then think about it a little more than normal. And as the petitioner has already spoken to tonight, he's really uh, trying, prioritizing and encouraging uh, walkability and bikeability. So um, it's just a way to have folks think about their use of an automobile. Petitioner Tyler Curry said the building will look into partial solar energy. Councilwoman Isabel Piedmont-Smith said payment for a signalized traffic intersection would be provided by the petitioner. 
Curry said intersection payment would be a deal breaker. We, we've agreed to provide and meet the so, so to, to help reduce the, the carbon uh, footprint by uh, doing solar panels, by doing charging stations, by doing a white roof. There's roughly over probably $60,000 right there in improvements. Most of all, we have an, a, an agreement in the affordable housing sector of all this. And had we known that uh, to pay for a stoplight would have been part of the, uh, the approval, you know, we could have factored that into our negotiations at that point because it is such a big ask. Scanlon said developers typically pays for traffic improvements due to development. She said need for a signalized intersection is not likely. Community member Connie Cookland suggested splitting the cost between the petitioner and the city. Smith and public safety should be a city responsibility. Burdening one developer for uh, the cost of the signal when I, honestly, IU Health may have a larger impact on that intersection than the building. And so um, I'm going to be voting no for this. Council members voted against the amendment requiring the petitioner to pay for a signalized traffic intersection. Council members approved the district ordinance and preliminary plan with reasonable conditions. Former South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg was confirmed to win a narrow margin over Senator Bernie Sanders as all the votes were counted in the Iowa caucus. With 100% of precincts reported days after the Iowa caucus, Buttigieg led with 26.2% of state delegates. Bernie Sanders was close behind by only a tenth of a percent. Elizabeth Warren, Joe Biden, and Amy Klobuchar came in third, fourth, and fifth accordingly. Buttigieg said in spite of the odds stacked against him, Iowa propelled him to the role of frontrunner in the Democratic Party. A campaign that started a year ago with four staff members, no name recognition, no money, just a big idea. A campaign that some said should have no business even making this attempt, has taken its place at the front of this race to replace the current president with a better vision for the future. And no matter what happens next, this much is undeniable. That fact represents an astonishing victory for this campaign, this candidacy, and this vision that you all have been a part of. CNN analysis said there were errors in the count reported by the Iowa Democratic Party. The IDP said would only recount the votes if a candidate requests it today by 1 p.m. Issues arose from an app that was not tested previously in Iowa named Shadow Incorporated. It was confirmed Pete for America gave at least $40,000 to the company that made the app in July 2019. Other Democratic candidates donated money to the company who developed the app, including Vice President Joe Biden, Kristen Gilbrand, and the Texas Democratic Party. Forbes labeled the app Shadow Inc. as, quote, glitchy and undependable, end quote. It's expected to see a greater rift growing between moderate and liberal wings of the Democratic Party moving forward. The Monroe County Election Board discussed 2020 primary election preparations.
Election Supervisor Karen Wheeler spoke about Election Central reconstruction at the February 6th meeting. Um, we have taken down walls, we've expanded the ballot room, we have way big open space that we'll be able to use for the voters. It's very impressive. We have all new carpeting that was finished yesterday. Today the only thing that was left is doing some of the trim work and a few just other minimal things that Weddell Brothers said they will be finished today by today's end. Wheeler said renovations would double voter capacity. She said volunteer recruitment starts in January. This year we started already in January. We usually start about six weeks from election day. And so I've had my office take that over temporarily. And so they've started and they've gotten some recruitments already for election day workers. I will need about 350, 360 poll workers, which is a lot. More than half are Democrats because Democrats have the inspectors, the Republicans don't. Wheeler said many outreach efforts have been made to recruit volunteers. She said volunteers will receive pay. She said half-day shifts are available. Board members approved early primary election dates and times, and details will be posted online at MonroeCountyVoters.us. Indiana University's School of Public Envi- and Environmental Affairs was mentioned in Senate Bill 276 earlier in January. However, it did not make it to the Senate. Junior correspondent Katrine Bruner discusses the guidelines for the bill in relation to SPIA with IU's spokesperson Chuck Carney. Just one month into the year 2020, major steps have been taken in the Indiana State House, with hundreds of bills filed and state legislative members introducing more to come. A majority of the new bills are to support the state's environment and help encourage Hoosiers to improve Indiana's carbon footprint and safety with health issues that we are facing. One of the environmental bills was specified to Bloomington with its connection to IU's School of Public and Environmental Affairs. However, it was reported that the bill was not moved out of the committee, therefore it is no longer active and will not be passed. The Senate Bill 276 was specified to require SPIA to assess the making of low-carbon and green industries in Indiana. SPIA would also need to study the effects that a low-carbon economy would have on jobs, economic growth, and wealth generation in Indiana communities. The report would have been due December 1, 2020. Chuck Carney, director of media relations at IU and IU spokesperson, reported on the bill and the school's due diligence for progress in environmental issues in Indiana. However, he stated that he was unsure of the reasons for the bill not passing through the committee. From the standpoint of Indiana University, you know we are uh, we're happy to work with the state on things that that legislators feel that we can be helpful with, uh, and we're happy to serve the state. Uh, in in that way, but uh, I don't know the reasons why it didn't pass. That's really something that would be up to the individual lawmakers. For reference, a low-carbon economy is an economy based on low-carbon power sources, which in return have a minimal output of greenhouse gas emissions into the atmosphere. With this Senate bill, this seems to be what Indiana was striving for when the bill was first brought up. Indiana University's O'Neill School of Public and Environmental Affairs is an undergraduate and graduate school. It is also one of the largest public policy and environmental studies school in the United States. 
Founded in 1972, it was the first school to combine public management, policy, and administration with environmental sciences. SPIA has been working on creating a more sustainable environment on campus since the beginning, with examples such as green buildings that began being built in the early 2000s. Carney explains why this makes the school a primary source for helping to solve Indiana's environmental issues. The O'Neill School certainly is a leader uh, and one of the first to really do what it does in environmental research uh, as related to public policy. So it's something that IU is known for because it's been a leader for many years in this realm. So it would be natural for the state government to look to the School of Public and Environmental Affairs to lead on this issue and will certainly be ready to step forward should that come again. In terms of what will happen to environmental issues of Indiana in the future, Carney assures that SPIA has the credibility and experts for the state to rely on when it comes to environmental policy. We're happy to help the state in any way that we can if they feel that there's a role for us to play in that. We certainly have a number of studies that are already on the books that could be helpful, and we hope that they would rely on the scholarship of our faculty who have looked into these issues already. But we certainly are are happy to serve if given the opportunity, Uh, but this is not something that we sought out. It was asked for in this bill, which uh, has not passed out of committee. With Indiana's known pollution issues, it's important that there are people working to solve such crucial issues like environmental policy. Carney explains that one of the main focuses with the School of Environmental and Public Affairs is to, quote, look at these issues very carefully and try to make sure that we're bringing to bear the best research that we have to solve these tricky public issues that are common in Indiana and a lot of Midwestern states, end quote. Looking outside Indiana and even the United States, steps have already been taken in China towards a greener future. President Xi Jinping recently proposed a blueprint of ecological civilization for the development of a low-carbon economy. As the world's current biggest carbon emitter, it is important that China is making efforts towards a solution. However, the United States is not far behind in carbon emissions. If the U.S. continues to go on without enough action for the environment, it will face increasing costs of climate damages to both the environment and the economy. For WFHB, I'm Katrine Bruner. This weekend marks the second annual Bloomington Music Expo at the Monroe County Convention Center. News Director Cade Young talks to the Executive Director at Visit Bloomington, Mike McAfee, about the Music Expo. WFHB Community Radio is sponsoring the event. Tomorrow morning at 10 a.m., guests can arrive early at the Bloomington Music Expo before the big crowd arrives. Mike McAfee calls it the Early Bird Special. The Bloomington Music Expo will take place at the Monroe County Convention Center Saturday, but the event extends into Bloomington tonight with an open-to-the-public performance from musician and painter Will Johnson at Lenny's. Mike McAfee talked about the history behind the Bloomington Music Expo. A fan of vinyl and wanting to showcase the local music scene, McAfee sought to organize an event of his own. We were going to Indianapolis to a vinyl show that they have there, and you know we started talking. 
talking afterwards about, you know, wow, there isn't, there isn't one of these in Bloomington, and, you know, we could do this. And, you know, I'm like, I know I could do it really well. I could make it, you know, a really quality event you know, for my for my job and, and here at Visit Bloomington, you know, where we could get visitors coming in for tourists coming in from the region, you know, from Louisville to Chicago to Cincinnati and, and beyond um, if we if we do it right and, and bring in some good entertainment and, and, and really focus on, you know, having it be a, a quality event. And, and, that, and that's exactly what has happened. And we, we, we did it last year and, and we ended up with about 50 vinyl vendors and we did a full day of music and, and uh, we had a thousand people show up for it. I thought at the time when we, when we first started doing it, I thought, well, I'm going to be thrilled if we get if we get 400 people that come to the door, I'm, I'm going to be thrilled. And we ended up with a thousand. In addition to vinyl, McAfee said there will be other music themed items available as well. Art, sound equipment, food and drinks will all be available at the event. It's not only vinyl, but it's CDs and tapes and, and art and apparel and, and, of course, food and drink and all that stuff. But it's all music related. So, so you can be, you'll be able to come in and buy T-shirts and posters and, and all kinds of art that's being made, handmade stuff about me from music or themed around music. But, but getting back to the, the question about vinyl, I mean, you'll be able to come in and there'll be $1 bins. You can dig through bins and find albums for a dollar. And there'll be some records priced at two or $300, you know, that rare Rolling Stone record or um, I was talking to a vendor uh, yesterday who's got an original Beach Boys Pet Sounds mono that, you know, if you look that up on eBay, it's it's 130 bucks. So, I mean, you've got some serious collectors here, some serious vendors that do this. And, and, the, and the great thing about it is, like I said, we've got 50 of them all in one room. And I mean, thousands of records, every type of genre. We have a few record labels, you know, Landlocked will be there. Some people will be selling brand new records too, still in the plastic that, you know, that you're buying in record stores as well as like I said, the used stuff that a lot of these vinyl dealers go around at shows like these and sell anywhere from a dollar, three dollars, four dollars. Here's my ten dollar bin. And like I said, they've got the rare ones that sometimes they don't even put those out in front. You know, he'll have to pull those out and show them to you. Austin, Texas musician Will Johnson will also perform Saturday with a special lineup of Songs Molina, a memorial electric company featuring the remaining members of Magnolia Electric Company, a band signed to the Bloomington-based indie record label Secretly Canadian. The band intends to honor the late musician Jason Molina, who died of alcohol-induced organ failure in 2013. We have Songs Molina, a memorial electric company coming in, and they're doing a, a tribute show to Jason Molina, which, uh, you know, is one of the flagship artists for Secretly Canadian, um, who passed away in 2013. But this is all the band, you know, all of his band members from Magnolia Electric Company and Songs Ohio. Um, they don't they don't play very often um, as as Magnolia Electric Company or Songs Molina, just because. Without him, they don't do that, but but they do um, occasionally every few years get together and and play some rare shows where they where they go back and play those songs and pay tribute to him and uh, so that's happening and what's really cool about it and 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 this is I'm calling it a once in a lifetime thing that's never happened before and it may never happen again is that Will Johnson um, who's from Austin Texas and he his record his most recent record is also in the stacks there at, at WFHB it's called Wire Mountain was named best record by best record of 2019 by the Austin Chronicle but he made a record he and Jason Molina made a record back in 2009 for secretly to Canadian called uh, you know the really creative title of Molina and Johnson <laughs> but they made a record for them and it was very popular and he's coming and he's going to sing with songs Molina um, all, songs from that record 
and, 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 and some of Jason's songs, and that's never happened before. And like I said, I don't know if it will ever happen again. So it's really cool. We're really honored to uh, to have them coming. And, you know, Jason is such an influence on on the music scene here in Bloomington and a hero to so many of us that uh, it's just a great thing. We're really thrilled to be able to be a part of that and make that happen. Will Johnson will perform and showcase his paintings at Lenny's on Friday evening. McAfee said the show will be free and open to the public. Will is also playing a show for us. He's kind of kicking off the expo. We have a free show on Friday night, at, well, Friday afternoon, really happy hours, what I'm calling it, at, at Lenny's Bloomington Brewing Company down on Kirkwood. At 5 o'clock, he is playing a show, an acoustic show, um, and he's also, Will is a, a renowned painter, and he does these old-time baseball paintings. So he's bringing, you know, about a dozen paintings that are going to be on display and for sale at Lenny's for the month of February. So he's going to play music and talk about his paintings and talk about his experience with Jason. And again, that's free at 5 o'clock at Lenny's on Friday evening. McAfee wants to make it clear, this event is for people of all ages. It's for the whole family. Kids get in free, students get in free. It's only $5 for adults. We are donating all of the gate revenue to Girls Rock Bloomington, the Shalom Center, and WFHB. We're going to, you know, whatever. So if we bring in $3,000 in gate revenue, we're, we'll donate $1,000 to each one of those organizations after it's over. So that's a great cause. All the money is going to three great organizations in, in the community. Um, there'll be food there. Um, we've got a concession stand. The Orbit Room will be there selling hot dogs. We've got beer from Bloomington Brewing Company. They they canned special beer just for this event called Vinyl Slap, which comes in a commemorative can. So, you know, and then it's happening during the day. It starts at 9 a.m. as what we call early bird shopping. So for $10, you can get in before everybody else and find all the good records. If you're a ser- I call them like the hardcore serious vinyl collectors. And then at 10 a.m., we open up for general admission is $5, but it goes from 10 to 4, which, you know, is is there's a lot of things you can do after that. You can go out to dinner in the community or, or go out to some live music. We do have an after party going on at the Orbit Room where an author, uh, there's a woman um, named Erin Osmond who wrote a book about Jason Molina called Riding with the Ghost. She's going to go over to the Orbit Room and do a reading of that book for us. And then after that, there's um, two bands playing there, the Coke Dares and Whelmed. And the Coke Dares are actually guys from Songs Molina. It's their it's their rock band. It's their little three-piece rock band, and, and they do. it's really fun to see them they're great tickets are free for children and students upon checking student identification as for adults if you arrive at 9 a.m for an early look at vinyl vendors collections it is ten dollars if you show up after 10 a.m the price is reduced to five dollars per person for wfhb i'm Cade young Reporting live from the studios of WFHB Community Radio, I'm Don Guerra. And I'm Charlotte Wager-Miller. Support for WFHB comes from Cardinal Spirits Distillery, located on the B-Line. Cardinal Spirits has opened a new kitchen featuring local, seasonal food made from scratch to complement their craft cocktails. Dinner available Tuesday through Saturday at Cardinal Spirits, 922 South Morton Street. The WFHB Local News is also brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. 
found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Cade Young and Sidney Foreman in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Katrine Bruner. Our engineers today are Sydney Foreman and Cade Young. Our theme music is provide, provided by Ben Lumstein, Danny Graff, and Scott Schmadke. For WFHB, this is Charlotte Wegermiller. And I'm Don Guerra. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent local news program. You can be a part of our award-winning news team. Send inquiries to news at wfhb.org. And stay tuned for Kite Line, a program amplifying the voices of those within Indiana's prison system.